Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kerry Kermud. Well, during a very snowy weekend, I caught up with Chris Neal from the Rural Business Consultancy Limited. We find out from Bryony Neal about the postponement of the annual Young Farmers concert, for the time being anyway. And I find out from Michael Taggart, who's been up on the hills looking for any lost sheep trapped in these difficult conditions. Well, firstly, Kerry, uh, everything all right uh, at Orisdale? Yes, thankfully, touch wood, we didn't have it as bad as, as again, the West Coast. They suffered again, uh, seeing some photographs on social media from uh, Kirk Michael there. Some sheep were buried, and uh, I'm assuming up on the hills it wouldn't have been an easy uh, task at checking and feeding stock. Yeah, and obviously Paul Castain had some pictures on there as well of the of the drifts that were there. So it's uh, although the Met Office did a fantastic job warning us, and it's hard to predict to the hour when it was going to come. Uh, I suppose there was a little bit of uh, preparation could be made, but as we'll be hearing from Michael Taggart very shortly, Kerry, it's uh, it's difficult to predict how much there'll be and where the sheep will go. This is it, and it was a stark reminder of 2013, uh, a year that nobody wants to remember, but. People the farmers were prepared. The Met Office, like you say, were very good. They got the updates hourly to the farmers. And I think farmers did prepare. They really did. Um, it is a worry how it's going to come. And if it didn't come, it didn't matter. But uh, always be vigilant in the countryside. Well, Michael Taggart does a lot of work for various farmers around the Isle of Man. And I caught up with him just before he was trying to trek up the hills to have a look to see if he could find where the sheep were and how bad the snow was. Firstly, Michael, uh, you've been uh, out about uh, on rescue mission, or is it more of a surveillance thing that you have to do in these conditions? I think it's just uh, just go out, make sure everything's all right at the minute, Simon. Uh, been with Heather Moore and Robbie Christian on the Michael Hill, so um, it's just go out, go to where the hot spots were of 2013, where there was a lot of snow. Uh, they wrote, they managed for Glen Alden as well, so Robbie's been looking after Glen Alden. Uh, Michael Hills, it's it's got snow on it certainly. Uh, try getting up the Baltic track, can't get up over there. Try getting up Balakoon, and Balakoon has got a lot of snow in it, in, in the top of the laugh there. There's an awful lot of snow, it's like 10 foot drifts up through the, the track there, so. We're going to have a walk out now. We're going to go to what we call the Devil's Elbow out the Sarfield there. Um, that was quite bad in 2013. Is is it? Obviously, you'll have seen many, many uh, tricky snow conditions. How does this compare? I mean, it's only been a short-term one, and they've given it sort of melting fairly quick. Yeah, but they are forecasting more snow for this afternoon. Um, as we're looking here now, you look up under um, the top of um, uh, Ramsey here, up under the mountain there. A lot of snow's moved, so with a bit of wind and all, that's what that's what catches them. Uh, she, she she she'll she'll put her head down, and she's not going to face snow up on them hills. She's going to turn her back to it, and they get driven into into somewhere where they can't get out of, and that's where the problems start. They just get snowed into a gully, or snowed up against a fence or something. Same on the lowlands. How good are they to to find a bit that's that's relatively safe, or do they just just walk until, like you say, they find somewhere? I think that the problem is we don't get enough snow in the Alaman now. Like 
40 years ago, there would be snow sort of every other year and the sheep were sort of, hef as the sheep are hefted to the hills, they'll know where to go to. But now we only get big snows every, well, it's been 10 years now. And those sheep are not around to teach the younger sheep where to head for. So it's kind of a bit of a lottery ticket up there. Right, and um, where is there any bits where they're sort of safe? Well, it depends which way it's coming in from. The Met, Met Office have been very good on the Isle of Man, and even they couldn't predict that how much snow was coming. It all, he, he described it to Robbie, he said it's a lottery ticket, he said it could be one degree's difference between a massive amount of snowfall and just wet slop that comes in, a wet sl um, uh, slush, um, yeah. Sl uh, so yeah. But, but it, like you said before, you've tried to get up some of the tracks to make it easy to get up there and, the, and even when there's no snow and it's just plain land, it's very difficult to get round, isn't it? And there isn't many options. Yeah, well, it, it, we get used to walking, but it is nice to take the quad up. But from the, even from the bottom, just try and get up a little bit closer, because uh, it's all right walking up. But it's when you get into them snow drifts and they're two and three foot deep, and it takes a lot of walking through that snow when it's that deep. My hips are not getting any younger. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's a, quite a few um, people I, in in the same boat with this one. Oh, cer certainly, there's Danny Cree. He's got a lot of ground. Um, Philip Christian, pup, Pupster, he's got a lot of ground now. He's taken on from Anna Karouche. We've got Cosy uh, uh, Porkestain down south, and south of the island, I think, has got a bit of snow down there. So, yes, yeah, there's a lot of uh, flock masters to the hills, and it's a large area. We're going on, sort of, as I said, 2013 to the hotspots where there was a lot of sheep we lost on the hills and we're going to them sort of places to see what, what's going on, you know, if, if they are there. But I suppose that one of the things that may help is it, you know, there will be some experienced sheep that are out there and the others will follow them. Does that cause a problem? Yeah, certainly there'll be sheep coming up. Um, they, they will lead them, but as I, as I was saying, the sheep will go and congregate in one group and you could have 40 in a, in a hole and and you you could walk over that hole and not see them because the, some of the gullies up on them hills are 20, 30 foot and if a, if a lot of snow falls in them, you just can't get to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about, um, they're not quite the right colour either for, for snow, are they? No, they're not the right colour, yeah. um, but it, sheep will, sheep will kind of let you know, you could walk along and you'll see your head popping out of the, gra out of the snow and that's what we look for, or the telltale signs is like a breathe hole coming out of the ground, and you'll see that. So, what what about sound? Can you can you hear them bleating or anything? No, you wouldn't hear them bleating. No, no. Yeah, and uh, like in 2013, Ian Parsons was finding them 20 foot up a tree because he just kept going in to, in with the snow and 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 going on top of the snow and hiding in the trees. But they were 20 foot up the trees. You could see where they'd been sheltering in the trees. So it was, yeah, they're pretty, pretty good to hide sort of thing. Yeah, yeah the yeah. fight for survival, isn't oh. it? But the, Michael, will there be losses? Oh, certainly, certainly there will be losses. But as long as it's not like 2013, where there was tremendous losses, but not just on the on the hills, but on the lowlands as well. That was phenomenal amount of snow. And uh, if you talk to any farmer, they never want to see it again. Yeah, the worst you've ever seen. Oh, terrible yeah. that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly you wouldn't have seen snow like that, would you, Simon? No. 
but it, it's it's just one of them things isn't it you know it's one of the the tricky things that just farmers have to put up with and it's just Fine. just another thing there's nothing you can do about the weather no, we can we work with the seasons we work with the weather and we just hope that we get to the other side yeah yeah so you're, you're about to head up the hills now yeah, we're just plenty, of supplies, yeah, you? So plenty of supplies yeah plenty of supplies yeah all, all the carbohydrates and all the things you certainly you, you get to walk a few miles at this time of year but it's it's just a shame it's come now if it come a month ago this snow and um, the sheep wouldn't be quite so heavy in lamb but they're like maybe just six weeks away from lambing now so it's they're, they're getting heavy in lamb and it'll be the losses with calcium deficiency and stuff like that so yeah we just watch what was going on yeah i was wondering i thought it was only some burners that carried them brandy bottles around oh, the next <laughs> yeah, you gotta have it you gotta have it <laughs> well michael taggart there uh saying what a tough job it was this time we couldn't even get up some of the lanes on quads and and things like that so uh uh, quite a bit on foot. Oh, yeah. It must be absolutely knackering, mm. but they're committed to their livestock. So many helpers did come out and search for sheep, but like I say, it was nothing like 2013, and I think uh, the majority of livestock were okay this time. Excellent. Well, let's hope that uh, the uh, the losses were as minimal as possible there. Well, the uh, weather certainly affected the annual Young Farmers concert, uh, when, of course, coming in on the Thursday, and uh, there was lots of phone calls and people not sure what on earth was going to happen. And it, it must have been a tough and demanding time for the Secretary, Bryony Neal. Well, firstly, Bryony, uh, you're looking a bit more cheerful than the last time I seen you. I mean, <laughs> it must have been uh, quite a demanding few days. Yeah, it's been um, a little stressful, to say the least. And obviously, we're very, very disappointed that the concert hasn't gone ahead this weekend. But, you know, every cloud has a silver lining and the gate, Villa Gate had been really good to fit us in at the end of the month. Yeah, now, the obviously, the, the snow came. It was predicted, but, mm-hmm. of course, nobody knew when it was going to come. And I suppose you were fingers crossed hoping that it would last till Sunday maybe and not not come till Sunday but yeah. it come at um, well, I don't know if it was the wrong time or the right time where at least you could make a decision early ish yeah we had um we were in for our last dress rehearsal on the Wednesday we had a few tip-offs from the Villa Gaiety staff then that Thursday was looking you know very unlikely to go ahead um but we were still praying for blue skies on Thursday morning which there actually was to start with um so we're a bit disappointed that it was called off but obviously then the snow did come and it was just a case of you know thinking logically that if people were at the villa uh sorry at the gaiety on thursday night the snow would have come down as they were there and it would have been treacherous to get everyone home so it was the right call um and then yeah, we just had discussions and were sort of on tender hooks about the Friday, weren't we, Nick? Yeah. Well, Nicky Kane, um, you involved in the clubs as well as the the federation, and how how was the news taken? Um, taken very well. It was obviously it was hard for them everyone to take, especially when such efforts gone into it and everyone's mm. built it up for that weekend. But everyone was so understanding, so easygoing. I just knew that they just we had to do what we had had to do, and um, offering to help and and get everything sorted so yeah yeah and it, and it was strange i suppose because obviously the the last dress rehearsal happens on the wednesday night for yeah. for the clubs and all the stuff was in there but the i suppose one of the problems is um it's just about gone now the weather's improved a bit um but the gaiety have got shows to go on with 
they have and they were straight in on the sunday um this morning actually they had the next annie get your gun we're, we're in so but they were so good in helping and offering to open up when we could get things out and it was just really nice to see everyone sort of rally around together yeah to help each other get everything away and taken because it was sort of short notice quick quick just de- quick decisions yeah. but everyone sort of pulled through together and um, helped a bit of team morale yeah um, definitely and the, and the villa gaiety what they were absolutely brilliant yeah, yeah we're, we're so lucky that they've got them the three dates at the end of March we we did sort of say to them on the Thursday off oh, worst comes to worst you know do you have any more dates thinking oh we won't need <laughs> yeah. to get to that point but um you know at the end of the day everyone's put so much effort into their concerts and it's you know months prior to the concert they're they're putting the work in so for them to now still have those three nights to go out there and show off what they've what they've done I think is going to be fab yeah it's obviously some of the farmers involved in the concert um would have been pretty concerned about their own farms and livestock I suppose mm. as well um I've got family up in Concrevody there and stuff and they had you know snow drifts on the side of the fields and things so uh touch wood everything was okay and they were fortunate enough to get get sheep out of the drifts when they could so everything was all right but you know it is you take all that into consideration and a lot of our members are farmers who would have had to deal with that and then you know the young farmers concert isn't really a priority when you're weighing those things against each other so clean slating it on another weekend after it being so sort of treacherous this weekend is probably the right way to go there was talk of maybe just getting the friday and saturday in but Mm -hmm. then you had the the thing of of what to do with the judges that you had for for the thursday night yeah Uh, i I was mentioned to me maybe about a matinee performance on a saturday afternoon as well yeah Um, but in the end i think sounds like the the perfect decision and if all the clubs sort of went yeah you're right let's regroup and we can get the three nights in again even some of them were still digging out their cars on the saturday morning vicky <laughs> <laughs> put a picture up and she was having to dig yeah. dig her car out um so yeah on that and then just a friday if the ice you know if i'd been icy the worst thing we'd want is people rushing to come watch the concert and then yeah struggling to get yes. home and stuff. struggling with no electric and having to use yes. candles nikki oh oh don't mention <laughs> candles <laughs> oh, you're gonna explain the situation oh, dear. So, just she's a, been through enough this morning so. been through an ordeal <laughs> of not only just the tip of the iceberg the concert to then accident accidentally leaving a candle and nearly setting my house on fire <laughs> yeah but a massive shout out and thank you to uh port erin fire red fire brigade they were absolutely fantastic um yeah i can't i can't give enough credit to them they were absolutely brilliant yeah. and i saved my bacon in my house <laughs> <laughs> well listen the the dates of the rescheduled concert then yes so it is thursday the 30th of march friday the 31st and saturday the 1st of april and all the same you managed to maintain the the same judges and the the people involved Pretty much, I think so, yeah. There's a little bit of admin to do, but um, hopefully everything will run exactly the same. Um, We'll have a big four-club full concert run-through dress rehearsal on the Wednesday night just to get everyone to brush off the cobwebs again. And, uh, yeah, we'll hit it on the Thursday. You all know it'll be still last minute for every club, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're going to be perfect. There'll still be a bit of stress, but yeah. Well, well done to you both uh, because it would be difficult decisions to be made yeah. and it all sounds like uh, everyone's pulled together on this oh. and uh, the, it'll yeah. go ahead. Yes. yes. 
Nikki Kane and also the Federation Secretary of the Alaman Young Farmers, Bryony Neal. A great call they made, uh, a hard and difficult uh, decision, but uh, looking forward to it at the end of the month. <laughs> You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. It's been a little while since we've caught up with any agricultural advisors here on Manx Radio, so I thought it was time to catch up with Chris Neal, Rural Business Consultancy Limited from Laxey, to see how the farming's going and what guest speakers he's brought to the island recently. Well, a busy time of year, Chris, and uh, the snow at the weekend, I suppose it wouldn't have helped. No. No, it definitely doesn't, and I think a lot of people had uh, sort of flashbacks to 2013, but mm. luckily it, it didn't persist quite as bad, and um, you know we were glad to see the weather change and get warmer again, but certainly it's quite mixed. Some people got away quite lightly. I know some people had a lot more than probably what they would have liked, um, but yeah, no, we, we were quite quite glad to see the rain and, and come and uh, the weather warm up a bit. And we were desperately short of a bit of rain, that said. And I know that snow is it has a little bit of nitrogen, you were saying, in it to help the land, but it's been terribly dry. Yeah, no, I think if we uh, if we, if we don't get any moisture, uh, a reasonable amount of moisture now going forward, we're going to struggle for the summer. So it is, in, in some ways, we're quite glad to see that moisture. Um, we just would have probably preferred a bit more rain rather than snow, but we can't be uh, we can't choose what we get. We just have to deal with what comes ahead. So farming generally at home, Chris, um, like I say, a busy time of year. How has the winter been? Well, this last few weeks has just made that made the winter that little bit longer. I thought we were through it there in February, and everybody's thinking that we should should be lambing earlier and we should be putting cattle out and sowing fertilizer and getting on. But actually, you know, winter's not finished with us yet, so. It has just stretched things out and, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll get through this month and, um, you know, April will bring some warmer weather ready for them. Most people are starting to lamb again. I know that a few of the early lambs are well on foot now and they are looking the part on the north of, of the Isle of Man. But the wintertime, Chris, you always bring a raft of guests over. And this winter, again, a great show. Um, I think starting at the beginning of winter there, you had Sally Ann Spence over for the um, Dung Beetles for Farmers. Now, I did see a little bit in the Isle of Man newspapers about this. How are the agri-environmental side of, of the businesses stacking up now? We're seeing a lot more of nature um, being involved with many of the intensive sort of dairy units but it's always working in balance now. Is it a bit bit better? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the Agri Environment Scheme and, and probably the Flag Award definitely that I was involved in judging with uh, with the with the governor and and the guys from Jackson's there. What really what really came to light was the fact that intensive agriculture actually can farm can work hand in hand with biodiversity and enhancing the landscape. Um, you know, Dave and Rob Cool down there at Balabeg, they run quite an intensive dairy business and you know, it was great to see them guys w- winning uh, and the work that they were doing to, uh, to develop their farm, bring in, bring in those habitats, um, change their farming practice that was actually going to probably make them a bit more money, benefit the wildlife um, and you know, those guys had a strong, strong emphasis on dung beetles. Uh, Dave was quite quite enthusiastic about them and the role they can play within his farm business so it was fantastic to see and I think you know almost definitely um, some farmers will have lost out through the agri-environment and I think there's work to do to make sure that people can access more money and I think there's also a lot more work to do to make sure that uh, 
there's, there's, there is more money coming into the industry and there's a lot more recognition of the actual good work that we already do that uh, that the agri-environment scheme has highlighted. Um, I think it, it certainly seems to be the direction of, tra of travel uh, when we look across the water to see what our counterparts are doing and this sort of work seems to be um, getting more and more traction. So, you know, it's, it's not to fight it. Um, we, we have to sort of go with it and I think we have to make it work for ourselves and work for our businesses. And with that said, is there been a good uptake here from our farmers generally? We do have a cross-section of ages, lots of different types of farming. So my understanding is that uh, this year being the second year has been better. Um, there's probably still some farm businesses that are missing out. But certainly I think it's getting easier to apply. So, you know, DEFRA and the Manx Wildlife Trust have, have listened to the to the farmers and to the you know the farmers union who are, who are constantly trying to encourage things and get get, get the job better so they are listening um, i think the application process has improved but you know i read an article from jeremy clarkson wrote last week in the paper and he said you know we, we've we have gone from filling one application form in to filling numerous um, and the amount of money that the farmers were were bringing into their business or you know that they need within their business has been reduced so I think there is more work to be done um, and you know what I constantly say to these people is that uh, conservation is something that happens when farmers are profitable when farmers aren't profitable this sort of work is the sort of stuff that is that f is the first sort of stuff that gets gets cut out of their business so it's important that farmers um, are prosperous that they're making money and they and they can afford to do these things um, you know if we're not making money on our backs against the wall I'm very sorry but we're not going to plant trees especially when it's a cost to our business yeah absolutely Chris in a nutshell I fully agree with you there and the support for young people getting into agriculture has been touched on lately um, not many people are seeing many gaps in, in getting land or getting the, the, the finances behind them to actually go out and maybe purchase or rent land or even buy the livestock to put on the fields yeah uh, definitely I think and it's always been the case but I think just recently I think things and um, you know the way the costs have gone is getting a lot harder um, but I do I do honestly think there are some opportunities out there I think they look different to how they used to look in the past um, and we just have to think outside of the box um, we have to have that long-term focus, the same as we've always done in farming. Um, you know, that those large farms or large tracts of land aren't there to rent. But I think we can pick up pieces, uh, you know, farm, young farmers can grow equity, generate cash. Um, and, and, and I think generally think there is lots of opportunity, but they, they just look different. Um, and we just need to be a bit more open-minded as to how, what farming means and and our expectations of how we get there. But certainly, yeah, there is scope. You know, people shouldn't get downhearted. Um, maybe they just need to sit down and think, just think through, you know, why they want to farm and how they want to farm. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't look like our, how our parents did it. And how uh, you know my mum and dad bought their farm and paid a mortgage on the back of farming generally, um, and that that's just not going to happen these days. But I think out there there's there is um, 
there is going to become more opportunity. What we're seeing, or certainly what I'm seeing, is that uh, the average age of the farmers in the UK and the Isle of Man is getting older and they can't carry on. So we're sort of in that area now where young farmers are going to become more and more important because there just, there just isn't that sort of impetus in it and drive within the existing industry and we, you know, we need them now to come into this industry and to kick us on. Without them, it's, you know, we're just going to it's going to decline further and further down and, and it'll be a lot harder to get it back. And do you think uh, DEFRA are, are supporting the young people in the agricultural industry? You know, is, you're obviously talking of a sense of urgency here and um, the, the population is getting older. Do you think there is the support there? I think there's a little bit of support there, but I think there's always more that can be done. It's going to require different thinking, different mechanisms. Um, I know when when they commissioned the Burnie report into the agricultural strategy, one of the things that I suggested to the consultants that were over was that they looked at the tax structure. Um, one of the things they have in Ireland is that there's tax relief for new entrants so that the, so the landowner can rent their land out and that income is tax-free. So, so it's not all about subsidies. There's a, there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of scope that we can do within our economic toolkit that we can utilise to help young farmers get established into the industry. So it, it's, it requires a little bit of thinking outside the box, but there is scope and there is potential to do these things. Um, you know, we just need to... We just need a bit more will and enthusiasm to do them. Yeah, they said, and obviously one of the talks that you had through the winter months there, Chris, talking about enthusiasm, a great turnout of young farmers to the, the calf rearing talk you had with uh, Dr Tim Potter from West Point Vets. Yeah, it was really encouraging to see so many young people in the audience that night. They're obviously interested in in these sorts of things. Calf rearing is a great opportunity for young people to get established um, you don't need a right lot of land, you just need a building and away they go. Um, so yeah, it was really encouraging that night. And it's always great that you, you bring the people over to talk. Um, your brother Tim, obviously a, a great young farmer here on the Isle of Man, now works in the UK. Another person brought over with a raft of knowledge. Yeah, he's working as a nutritionist down the south of England and covers a massive area. Um, I'm constantly amazed when I'm chatting to him of the businesses that he deals with. Um, you know, thousand thousand cow herds. At, um, you know, at six seven hundred cows would be sort of an average for him. The level of output and uh, the integration that he has within those businesses you know, just blows me away at times. Like, so it's fantastic to bring him across. He's he, he, he's just a wealth of knowledge on uh, feeding animals and feeding ruminants. So it was great to have him there that night. And that said, Chris, it is that knowledge transfer. You know, you'll have picked up so much from him, but then able to pass on to our island young farmers who maybe don't have the opportunity to go away and learn. Yeah, well... I say I've I've done the training, um, you know I, I can do a little bit, but I'm just not doing it the same uh, frequency that he is. So it comes a lot more easier to him than it does to me. But yeah, I say there are a lot of uh, bit, there is scope out there to to tweak diets to change things. Um, a lot of it, you know, we shouldn't forget the basics. Uh, you know, clean water, clean feed. Um, and just making sure that the, the diets are well balanced, you know, analysing your silages and your, and your forages before you feed them and then matching up your, your cake and your proteins. Um, 
Yeah, because that said, some of the um, diets could be very good on their own, and here we are adding extra bits and pieces that cost the business a lot more than really necessary. Yeah, and I think sometimes, um, you know, I've I seen some work that I, I did when I was at university or like a long time ago now that, well, as you see it on the feed labels, actually it's not fed to the correct rate. And I think sometimes, you know, salesmen are guilty of, of just <laughs> selling something with a few extra goodies, but, but the reality is there's just not enough of it to, for it to work properly. Yeah, yeah. And this said, it's always changing. You know, the, like you say, the salespeople are always bringing out new products. It might be the same old product, just with a new brand, new label. So to have you about, Chris, you're able to come on farm and, and help support agricultural businesses. Yeah, well, we're totally independent. So what, you know, we try to give the best advice possible for that business. We're not, not there to sell anything, so... Yeah, and the, one of the, the final people you had over was uh, Emma Adams from Farm Carbon Toolkit. Now, this is right hot topic at the minute. We were all talking about carbon. Um, but one of, the, one of the things I seen on your social media, Chris, was three breakdowns was basically where does carbon come from, how to measure your farm carbon footprint, and how to reduce it. I think these are the three questions that will be going on in many farmers' heads on this Isle of Man. You know, some of it can be a bit mind-boggling, quite scientific. So breaking it down into basics... How would you sort of guide the farmers with those sort of three points? Well, I think it's a, it's a brilliant question. Um, I think there is an awful lot out there, and I'm sure, you know, I don't buy the buy, uh, farm and press cause, simply because it, it it just overwhelms me. So yeah, if, totally. if, you, if, you, if you're reading the Farmer's Guardian and you're reading the Farmer's Weekly, you know, they try to cater for a whole manner of audiences, and one page will say, you know, feed this, and and you turn over, and the other page says, "Don't don't feed that." <laughs> so you can you can get overwhelmed with with uh, with media, but I think it, it's as simple as as wanting to do something about it is the first step. Um, if you and if you're wanting to do something about it, and you're wanting to understand, then then the next step would simply be to to visit any of the carbon calculators. Yeah, yeah. And there's three main ones out there that I would encourage people to go and look at, and that's the Farm Carbon Toolkit, Cool Farm, uh, Cool Farm Carbon, and AgriCalc. They're the three main ones. They all do a similar job. They're all slightly different, but they do do a similar job. And certainly with the Farm Carbon Toolkit, um, that'd be the one I'm most familiar with. It, that's free. So anybody can go on, log on to that website, create an account and just work through the questions and, and work out their own carbon footprint. And from the back of that report, you can then see just quite where where your emissions and where your carbon is generated from. Because it's, uh, it's not always a direct output of carbon. Some of it is... Uh, carbon equivalents. Okay, yeah. So we're taking nitrous oxides, uh, which would be fertilizers, and we take the methane, um, which would be expelled from ruminant animals, and they're turned into carbon equivalents, and that that ultimately turns into your carbon footprint. But but we also m must take into account the the sequestering work that we do on the island, because we are generally low input. So we don't use a right lot of fertiliser in comparison to a high-intensive system like you'd see in the UK in lots of areas. We have some fantastic hedgerows, um, and 
because we have so much grassland in the Isle of Man, we are actually constantly capturing a lot of carbon. And well-managed grassland will actually capture more carbon than what trees will, certainly, and, and a lot quicker. So if you think to plant a tree, plant a tree is going to take 80 years to mature and capture that carbon. But actually, under a well-managed grassland system, we can capture just as much carbon and, a, and an awful lot quicker just through well-managed grassland ma systems. So it's important that we, we take account of what we're sequestering. And, and once we've got that carbon output and we've got that sequestering work, that gets us down to a net level for our farm business. And then we can make a plan of how we're going to tackle that carbon footprint and also how we're going to improve our sequestering because you know we must take those two things together to get to a net level. It, it's important that we do that to just take the carbon footprint in isolation and forget about the brilliant work that farmers are doing out there uh, capturing carbon. I think is is wrong and that's slightly misleading and it probably makes things look a, a, an awful lot worse than what they actually are because from the little bit of work that we've already done with businesses we can actually see that there's a lot of businesses that are already carbon neutral and I think if we actually took that across the island we'd probably find we haven't got to do a huge amount but we have got to do some work because yeah, I think that was the thing from the outset, Chris, was it was, seemed quite daunting, the idea of it, it you know, the, the, the farmers doing such a terrible job, the, the, you know, the global warming and everything that goes with it. And it really is quite, like you say, uh, overwhelming, some of it. But now you've just said that in quite simple terms and how good the farmers are here on the Isle of Man. It might just give them that confidence to look into it. I hope so, because, you know, there's, there's not just the benefit... <coughs> I hope so because I think we're going to have to, we are going to have to do it. We can't avoid it, unfortunately. But there are a lot of benefits that come with it. Um, and I'm pretty sure that given the price of fertilizers, we would all love to use less. Um, and that's going to benefit our carbon footprint. And I think it's also important to recognize that um, large. Large businesses with large amounts of animals aren't necessarily the worst out there. The best businesses are the most efficient businesses and those that are using their, their inputs and managing those against their outputs. And that, that came through on, the, on a bit of a study that we did a few years ago that it wasn't the most intensive farm that was the worst uh, polluter if you like, or the, had, had, the, had the biggest carbon footprint. So it did, it did massively highlight that the most efficient at a technical level for their farming, that were highly productive, were res resourceful with their inputs, their fertilizers, and, and yeah, with the fertilizers, they were actually, they actually came out well so, so we can get a balance. We don't. It's not all about doom and gloom. Actually, it, all this sort of stuff can actually lead us to be a more profitable business. But we have to get it right. The policymakers have to incentivize and reward and encourage us because change isn't easy. It costs money. And I think, and I think actually, there is 
a lot of scope for the Arleman to become, or certainly for the Arleman agricultural sector to become net zero quite quickly. But we need to start, and up until now, as I said, we've struggled to get that point over to government and to policy makers. But what came apparent uh, last the other week when I was down at the NFU conference in Birmingham was that the the current rate of change is only about 1%. And in order to meet our targets in by 2030, we will have to increase that rate of change to somewhere around about 3%. And the longer we, we, we don't do anything, the longer we kick this can down the road will actually result in us having to make bigger changes in a shorter period of time. So so the sooner we get on and get and get started, the better. Yeah. And I think we do have that contact here, Chris. We are close to our government, our ministry, uh, to the people that can make the changes. I suppose we've got that advancement ahead of the UK. You know, we sit in quite a, a strong position in agriculture. We've got some good voices. Uh, we've struggled, Kerry, this last couple of years. I think um, the, you know, the, Manx, the work that I do through the Manx National Farmers Union, we've been we've been lobbying for a soil health scheme, and the policymakers have come back and said, yeah, that's fine. You show us a soil health scheme, and we'll, and we'll think about it. And we've gone back with a soil health scheme and said, here's a soil health scheme, and they've been slow to pick that up. I think, you know, we've we've met with the climate change team, and we've tried to get tried to get this started there and that's been slow and and it's frustrating that they seem they seem to want you know they seem to want to spend a hundred thousand pound plus on a consultant to tell them exactly what we've been telling them for the last two years so i think hopefully we've got the consultant telling them exactly the same things that we've been telling them for the last two years and hopefully we can we can get on now and and start to make some changes because the young farmers, the industry, the processes, we need that impetus, we need change. I think change is good and I think actually there's a lot to come from this. I think if we can get a good um, carbon story then there's huge opportunities for the processes and I would have said that it, those that work really should be processor led and the reason for that is generally because i think that's a huge marketing tool for those guys both for the creamery the mill and the and the meat plant if they can actually put you know zero uh, carbon footprint or net zero on on their products well what other agricultural industry in the world would be able to do that and that's what we should be aspiring to do and i think you know the Isle of Man is fully capable of doing that but government should be there just to pump prime and to help, and I, and I definitely think that the the processors should be leading on this to make sure, you know and filtering that back down through their through their suppliers, the farmers that produce the you know the products that they they sell on. And like you said, Chris, we do have a, a vibrant industry here. We've got a great product, both the meat, the milk, the grain. Everything is absolutely fantastic. It is, you know, high quality, high welfare. And this just adding to it, you know, the UNESCO biosphere that the farmers have achieved over decades of work. Um, these are all really good marketing points. But like you say, the sense of urgency seems to be the, the buzzword here again. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we struggle a little bit to get our voice heard, probably because we're not a big net contributor to the Isle of Man economy. 
but actually agriculture touches on a lot of uh, different areas that we don't probably get credit for. Um, you know, we look out the window and we look at the landscape, and this is what uh, Visit Isle of Man is selling to their visitors, and and what the um, the, the cruise liners all come come to visit. Uh, you know, and, and when the TT gets those aerial shots and everything going around the Isle of Man, that that's all work that uh, that the Isle of Man agricultural industry is doing. You know, it's, it's making the place look tidy, look pre- look pretty, look attractive. Um, when we think about trying to encourage. Uh, people out into the environment and outside into the natural areas to try and improve uh, well-being and health. Again, this is all work that the Isle of Man agricultural industry is doing. Um, and the same too with uh, water, air, trying to make those cleaner, trying to make it, trying to make the Isle of Man a better place for everybody. This is all work that the Isle of Man agricultural industry is con- contributing to that we don't get rewarded for or recognised for. And, you know, uh, last November, or a year last November, we did a presentation to Tyndall, to the new Tyndall members then, and, and we pointed this out. Um, but, but again, you know, we struggled to get recognition for this. Um, but without, without Isle of Man farmers, you know, the Isle of Man economy would struggle on so many fronts and I don't think that sometimes the the policy makers actually recognize the hard work that agriculture does on a day-to-day basis to allow them to, to sell the Isle of Man to, to uh, you know the high net worth individuals and, and the companies that relocate here f- for their business. Absolutely, in a nutshell, Chris. And I know that the agricultural industry does work hard together. They they are a unit. They're a strong unit. Like you say, they provide so much. Um, going forward, Chris, how do you see the farming industry? I see it changing, but I, I see that as a positive. I see there's a lot of scope out there. I see that actually if we, if we take a positive attitude and we say, well, actually, yeah, you know, things could be better... But wow, you know, they could be so much better. There is so much scope. There is so much opportunity. And, and we just need, you know, just need to, to get behind the job, push it forward and, and get the rewards for our efforts. But actually, you know, I, I, I'm a lot more enthusiastic about the job than what, than what probably maybe I have been, you know, two years ago. But I do think that, um, there is there is scope and potential on the Isle of Man. It it will look different. Um, there's no doubt about that. But we we could be world leaders, especially in this carbon area. Um, you know, we just need to get our ducks in a row and and let the handbrake off. And uh, I know we've touched on an awful lot to do with the environment, but what about the food side of the farming businesses? You know, food security. We are an island. You know, what's your thoughts on that front? Sustainable food security, I think, is key. Um, you know, we have to be able to supply ourselves with the basics. I think there is a lot of scope to offset a lot of imports, and I think you know, whilst it's dead easy to say that we'll uh, we just need a bigger boat and a bit and a bigger warehouse, actually, if that food's not in the UK, or there's a transport issue, or a war, or the or inflation, you know, and the cost of that. Um, or the UK is struggling to to find the staff to harvest the veg to bring that to the Isle of Man. Well, it, it, 
Korea, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how big a boat we've got. <laughs> it's, it's, it, the, the food won't be there yeah. to put on it. Yeah. So I think, you know, we do, do, we do produce some good food, some fantastic food that's world-renowned and, and up there with, with the best of quality and, and it's got the full traceability. And, you know, the Alamance farmers do a fantastic job. But again, there's so much scope and opportunity out there. Um, we have a, a food matter strategy that I would have said is it's not fulfilling its potential. So, you know, again, we, we've got opportunity. We've got levers that we could be pulling. Um, we just need to start getting a bit more focus, getting a bit more enthusiasm uh, and really getting behind Arlman food, Arlman food producers, Arlman agriculture. Um, you know, we could be growing more. We could be producing more. We could be developing more. Um, and I know that from from my own personal experience with the quinoa, you know, we've we've backed right off that. Um, but I, I do think there is a huge opportunity for niche products, high value products. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, opportunities there. It just needs to be. We, we just need to step up, get the support behind us, and and let and let the brakes off. And last week we had on our programme um, David Brew from the North talking about the milling wheat situation, uh, Chris, and he looked out at the land and said he doesn't know what to do with it. Um, it's, it's all well and good to say, oh, maybe he can grow and grow vegetables and all the rest of it, but it's that knowledge you need and you know, the experience to do it and whether the climate suits it as well. All these questions that, you know, many people say, oh, just go and, go and grow. It's not quite that simple. No, definitely not. Um, you know, I think it's important that, the, the right land grows the right stuff. You know, the right vegetables are grown in the right areas, or the you know, the, um, we're certainly not going to grow mill and wheat in uh, outside of Douglas that easy as what what the likes of David is going to grow down there in the north. Um, there's a huge amount of experience and knowledge and equipment and investment in those farms and in those businesses. Um, but I think I think there is scope and an opportunity for them to to tweak. Um, you know, we import a lot of animal feed, lots, you know, there's still soya and, and some of that, you know, we, we can't avoid, but actually we could be growing a lot more protein crops on the Isle of Man, um, you know, and, we, and there is there is different things coming out, uh, being developed, different varieties that are becoming more adapted to the UK and to the Isle of Man. So, that, so there's always opportunity. Like you said, uh, Chris, we don't have a, a mill here that actually mixes up the corns and the different the beans and varieties, legumes, to, to make what we import from the UK. And the cost of importing these products, you know, it might be worth investment into actually a proper uh, animal feed store. Yeah, and uh, definitely. And I think, um, you know, the Laxey Glen Mills, have, I've, I've, I've done a review. Um, we don't know what that looks like. But I would hope, you know, actually we, we could be adding a lot of value through uh, artisanal products. I look, certainly when we were developing, looped into the quinoa, there was, there was a huge amount of alternative flowers that people are using, whether that's pea flour or bean flour. Um, a lot of these uh, more native and older varieties of grains that are getting more popular, spelt, um, traditional wheats and things like that they're not massive they're not we're not talking uh, hundreds of acres but actually we could be growing a lot of smaller acreages of a lot of different things but again 
we need that processing capacity to be able to to maximize the value out of those and I, whilst laxi glen mills has been fantastic uh, dealing with wheat and certainly on that high volume it, it it just doesn't lend itself to those small volumes so i'm hoping that you know whoever's done that review has, has been practical in that and, and and thought about these things because actually unfortunately you know we're, we're, we're not going to replace ramsey bakery I, I just can't see a bakery of that sort of size and scale springing up in the Man. certainly not overnight but there is a huge amount of potential in those uh, small niche high value crops that can be grown can be packaged up and can be sold into the uk or, or locally and it, it can actually bring quite a lot of money into the isle of man yeah this is it and just to have that little bit of encouragement the confidence behind and reassurance that you know people are going to support um i suppose would be the the first hurdle for many farmers to, to do something different definitely and i think you know as as farmers most farmers just want to want to grow you know they're not public facing they, they don't um they don't have that sort of direct linkage to the consumer so it's important that we have these processes and we have these linkages to the consumers that can feed information up and down the, down the supply chain and sometimes you know these do get broken and that's where some of the frustration comes from um so it's important that at an industry level we all work together and we all head in that in that direction and within that you know we have the flexibility of different crops or different breeds or whatever that may be but ultimately you know we just want to supply what the consumer wants to the highest value to the highest standards and you know the, the mill and wheat guys are doing that growing some top quality wheat uh, just the same as you know the the dairy guys are producing some top quality milk and that's going into our cheese and onto the doorstep deliveries uh, and the, you know the, the red meat sector there's some fantastic beef and lamb and pork that's getting produced and that's you know going onto the shelves but we need that communication lines up and down so that everybody is aware of what's going on and, and how the market is changing and um, how the you know how prices are changing because you know that 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 can make a big difference, and and those prices can change on a sixpence overnight. Not by anything that we're doing here on the Isle of Man. It, it, <laughs> we're on a yeah. all of a sudden we're on a global market, and that influences you know profit margins and and, and what crops we plant, and um, so so that whole industry approach, that that supply chain linkage, hugely important for us going forward, more so than has ever been. There we go. That was Chris Neal from the Rural Business Consultancy Limited. Not one to panic, look into it a bit deeper before before spouting off. And oh. you're, you're right, you must have a good rapport with some of the people that they're bringing to the island because, you know, we don't know it all, do we? Absolutely not. Every day is a school day. Well, we'll leave it there for this week's Countryside and we'll be back next Tuesday with more. Don't forget, if you missed parts of it, go to manxradio.com and download the podcast for free. And we'll be back next Tuesday at 6 o'clock. So until then, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Kermode. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.